about your life watching the O's and probably that you're one of the only unique men around that have seen all seven promotions since 1955. So, Dick, off we go. Tell me when this wonderful journey started. We go back to the autumn of 1952. And prior to that, I had been a sickly child. I was in and out of hospital many times. In the, in the, I think it was the autumn of 1952, I was diagnosed as having a staghorn calculus, which is stones in the kidney. The only problem was that this operation in those days was considered to be a major operation and could only be undertaken once I reached the age of seven because of the size of the body and the size of the scar that would ensue from the operation. However, as I was only five, this gave grave consternation to my parents because there was a two-year gap when things should have gone either way, for want of a better word. So my parents explained this to me in great detail and they said, what would you like as a special treat because the circumstances may not be in your favour? So for many years, I'd listened to my uncle and my dad talk about their days uh, at Clapton Orient and following the O's. And also they were passionate uh, supporters of greyhound racing which in those days was a major thing uh, in the 1930s right so I decided that what I would like to do is that one Saturday I would like to go and see the now Leighton Orient play and also the following Saturday when Orient were away I would like to go to see Hackney Wick Dogs so you made a good choice with um the Leighton Orient one there, didn't you? And I know you're, you're passionate about your dog racing. So back then, 1952, 1952, how did you get to the O's? Right, well, once this was decided that this would be the treat for me, uh, the week prior, my mother had knitted, hand-knitted for me uh, a blue and white, which were the colours in those days, scarf, along with the names of all the players done in alternate blue and white letters on the scarf. I still have this scarf today, and I've showed Trevor this morning the scarf, along with the picture of our one and only captain, Stanley Charlton, being chaired from the ground on the 28th of April 1962 after defeating Barry 2-0. Yes, it's... uh... Some of the memorabilia in here is wonderful. We will put some pictures up. So um, how did you get to those? Right, okay. So the the day started approximately about 12.30 from our home in uh, Forest Road, Dalston. Uh, I was equipped with the famous blue and white scarf with all the names on. Plus, I had a small box which made for me by my father so I could see over the the all-white picket fence at the time in the northeast corner of the ground. <laughs> right, so we walked down from Forest Road to Queensbridge Road where we uh, alighted to the number 236 Lower Decker bus which took us via Queensbridge Road, London Fields, Well Street bus garage, uh, Victoria Park, Hackney Wick, Hackney Wick Dogs, Lesney Car Factory, Eaton Manor, and then eventually to Leighton Town Hall, where we got off the bus. Well, this uh, it's a great vivid memory there of what you've done. What, when you got off the bus, what was the, the atmosphere around Leighton like in the 50s? I mean, I, I've lived there quite a while myself and frequenting Orient and that, it's, but... Back in the 50s, a lot different, I guess. Right. Well, uh, the reason we left early is because my father had explained to me that uh, we wanted to get a regular position, which was in, as I said, the northeast corner of the ground, which is now where I think you'll find the scoreboard. Uh, the newly newly uh, installed scoreboard and in order to get our usual place right at the front we had to be in Leighton High Road by the uh, library as it is now uh, by one o'clock so once we got on the bus we were there the 
the thing that I can remember most was that as soon as we got off the bus stop, we, we went about five yards and turned a sharp left. And that was, and still is, Leighton High Road. But it was absolutely full of people. And when I say full, you could not see the pavement because these are the days, remember, when there was, I would say, between 13 and 15,000 supporters at the ground. And it was, it was, it was every time we went there, our subsequent to that, it was the same. You had to be there at that time to get your usual place. Yeah, it's, it's funny that because when I started in the 80s, we used to get in the ground not early as one, but maybe two o'clock. I was in the north enclosure. And uh, yeah, if you wanted a space on the wall, you had to get there nice and early. And me being small as well. I couldn't see nothing unless I was on the front of the wall, but it was it was a great place to watch football that close to the pitch. And so you also mentioned you had a rattle as well, so they yeah yeah <laughs> that was another thing at the time. I wasn't the only one with a rattle. There was there was some huge contraptions that people had that you could you could hardly lift rather than turn. But uh, rattles were the thing in those days, and uh, I had one, but uh, I think it was a bit flimsy and it broke after a couple of games. <laughs> Well, I hope the, uh, the the little box your dad made you didn't break either because you wouldn't have been watching much football there. So 55-56 was the first promotion. I know you were a young lad then and uh, being taken to football, you would have, um, what should we say, been in awe of your surroundings more than what was going on the pitch. But any, any, re, any reclama- uh, recalls of how it was when... It, because only one team went, went up then, didn't they, for, for promotion? I wasn't sure, but I know that all weren't were champions. That's yeah. what I do remember. Uh, the the main thing of the time was, I can remember, the early part of that season, uh, uh, the player called Ronnie Heckman and Johnny Hartburn were outstanding goal scorers for the O's. Um, and then later, the absolute magic of the combination of Phil White combined with Tommy Johnson was absolutely unbelievable. The understanding between the two was 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 it was unbelievable because my dad told me this story. He told me to look out for this little chap and that was Phil White. He said once he gets across the halfway line, watch him and see what he does. Now I'd seen Stanley Matthews in Pathé News at the time of the pictures and he was a fantastic dribbler of a football. Now this was not Phil White at its best. Phil White was the perfection of a crosser of a ball. No one in today's football could put a ball on the head of Tommy Johnson like Phil White could. And my father also instructed me, as soon as this chap gets a little space between him and the ball, watch for this other one on this side of the ground. He's got his left arm bandaged because he had an accident in a mine when he was a teenager. Watch his arm. So I'm, I'm thinking my father's crazy. But, but he was right. Tommy Johnson's arm went up. Phil White crossed the ball. Tommy Johnson's head appeared just above the white bandage and a nod downwards, and I always repeat downwards, into the goal. <laughs> Absolutely fabulous. And this was this was the re- the main reconcil- uh, rec- recollection I had at the time. The only other thing that I would say that I can remember vividly was all being presented with the Division Three shield. I had never seen a shield before, and this was absolutely fabulous and a fitting end to that season. Yeah, I've seen pictures of that shield, and it's a rather large shield, but because I think most people, when you win something, you, you get pretended with a trophy or a cup, don't you? So so going on from then, I think you said to me that your, your dad took you to your first away game uh, about 57 yeah, I've been trying to think about this one when it actually was. I think it was quite early in the season, and I think it, I, I know it was at the Valley. The reason is because we used to live in Dalston, as I mentioned before, and we got the number 48 bus all the way from Dalston to London Bridge. We was an excursion in those days, plus getting on the train at London Bridge directly to Charlton, and at the time we had seats in the main stand, and 
as soon as I entered that ground there, I saw the impressive sight of the opposite the main stand, which was the huge, huge terrace that uh, went from the, the pitch right up as though it finished up in the gods, in the heavens, in fact. Mm-hmm. It was huge. And at their high day, it must have been a most marvellous sight to see because when I was there, I would say the crowd was mm, was under 20,000 for that mm-hmm. match. And that really was an impressive sight to see. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was the same for me back in 1978. I was at the Valley for my first game, and uh, it is an impressive sight even then. So, yeah, great memories there. So we now we move on a little bit because you've recovered from your operation and you're now starting to wander in football grounds on your own, and we come to the 60s. So early 60s, Orient and a reasonable football team. Right. Yes. Um, this, this, uh, believe it or not, was the 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 season of promotion from uh, Division Two, as it was, to Division One, which was the top league, and it was unbelievable. Um, I know that season. I I'd done every single home match and quite a few away matches. And it really was a, a season to behold. It was it was unbelievable. Uh, the main things was that um, Orin had a fabulous start to the season, uh, but tapered very badly from January onwards, especially in home games. Yeah, right. But yeah, the they had a reasonable cup run as well, didn't we? And uh, I think there's a famous game. Against Burnley, I think we, we, we drew up there. And, uh, yeah, right. Um, and there was a replay back at Brisbane Road. Yeah, yeah. Any recollection yeah. of that? Well, I showed Peter, uh, today a picture to Trevor of uh, Ronnie Foster scoring at Burnley and the subsequent uh, newspaper report of the game. Uh, and that was when Warren played in all white at Burnley. Um, this led to a replay, as Trevor said, uh, with Burnley. Uh, I think it was on Tuesday night. Either it was, it was either the the next week or whatever, because the original game at Burnley had been postponed because of fog. Right now, the match prior to that one that stands out to me, it was the Saturday before the game against Burnley at home. The replay. Um, it was a, one of these matches that I mentioned that Orin had a very disappointing home record in the latter part of that season. And they just lost to Bristol Rovers. I think it was 3-2 uh, on the uh, day before the tickets were due to be issued at the ground. Right, so with this in mind, I decided that I won't go too early to get a ticket because people will be disappointed from yesterday, etc., etc., so I got to Leighton approximately 10 o'clock and I got off just by, uh, I think it's Ruckholt Road. There was an entrance there by the school that was there at the time that led down to the West Stand, etc. down there, which I think now is flats from last time I was there. And I was amazed because as I approached the perimeter of the ground, the whole of the ground was encased in people queuing for tickets which really stunned me because I thought I've only got to wait half an hour and I'll get a ticket. But I got there just after 10 at the ground. I managed to get in the queue at uh, the farthest point away from the West Stand that I could actually get in. And I got served at 12.15 with my ticket. (laughs) Unbelievable. But I had it. I had the ticket to see Orient play the team of the day, which was Burnley in those days. They were... I think, I'm not right in saying that it was that season, but it was either that season or the one before, they were champions. And they were a tip-top form, a tip-top team, not of stars, but of homegrown talent. Mm. Like back in the day, lots of teams were, weren't they? So, well, we go towards the end of the season. You're talking about Orient's uh, form there. And I guess going to the... The aforementioned Berry game, which you've got the wonderful picture on the wall. Um, can you remember leading up to the game how how you felt and how the people at Leighton felt? Because we were on the cusp of getting to Division One. Yeah, well, I think um, it might have been a week or two prior to that. 
there was hope that Rotherham might beat Sunderland, who were the other team who had the possibility of going up. But unfortunately, uh, Rotherham, I think they won, they lost 3-0 that day to Sunderland. So it meant that Sunderland were the bookies' favourites to go up with Liverpool at that time. Um, the main thing that I... And this is based from memory, but I did have it quoted in one of the books that I'd been involved with, was my was my day, you should like to hear about that, and uh, leading up to the game. Would you like to hear about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, cool. Right, it's, it's a simple story, but it's one I shall never forget. I had my my lunch with my uncle, and we had, <laughs> we had pie, mash and peas and gravy at 12 o'clock. And I listened on the radio to the programme that was on there, on the radio at the time, which was a sports programme. And there was very faint mention of orange chances against Bury that afternoon. It was mainly that Liverpool were going to be champions and that Sunderland had an outstanding chance of winning at Swansea. Right, so with that in mind, I've, I've done the journey that I'd mentioned before uh, on the bus Got to um, again this Ruckholt Road, not really, is it Ruckholt Road? Yeah. Ruckholt Road bus stop there, and walk round to get to the West End where there was no no tickets at that time available. It wasn't tickets; it was just walk in, pay your money. And the only thing that was uh, and always seemed to be sold out was the main stand. So that was that. I got there two fifteen. In time for the three, I think I'm, I'm, I think it was three. I don't think it was three fifteen, but something in my mind thinks it might have been a later kickoff. But I don't think it was. And again, I was stunned because the amount of people that were on all four sides of the ground was was what I'd never seen before. There were so many people there, and by the time half past two came, it was absolutely packed everywhere. It was unbelievable, and then. I can always remember this. By five to three, the teams come out. The noise. Oh, I can hear it now. <laughs> the noise was absolutely incredible. Um, I don't think there was that many Berry fans there, so it must have been mainly O's fans. But the noise was absolutely incredible. And led by the infamous midfield that it is now, Lucas Bishop Lee. This was it for me. The O's are on the cusp. <laughs> They're on the cusp. Can they do it? Right. Everyone knows the story. I won't repeat it all. The only thing I do remember from that day uh, was three things, really. Was that in the ground, everyone who was near me, and I was in the West End at the time, had a transistor radio glued to their ears because the match that was on, the radio live commentary was... Swansea versus Sunderland and very very despondent half time I think Sunderland were winning it's either that or early in the second half okay the match went on we had scored 1-0 and then in in the main stand I noticed the daughter of Harry Sussman stood up and she had, she had a transistor you know in her hand and everyone in the ground stood up and the noise Terrific, absolutely terrific. And at the time, I didn't realise it, but I read a book afterwards that um, a local boffin had recorded the sound level and it was 112 decibels, which was considered to be close near the breaking point of uh, normal hearing. So you can tell (laughs) what the noise was like in those days. And then going on from that, right at the end, of course, I was on the pitch. Stan Charlton was cheered off the pitch but at the end everyone was around the old players tunnel we want Kerry we want Kerry and that was that seemed to go on for at least 10 minutes and then he eventually came out and the day was complete absolutely marvellous never to be repeated will never be repeated but again by Orient and I'm a loyal supporter that is that is the ultimate well I'm sorry for the little bit of emotion there but it it did get me well, no, it, it, to to see your team get to the top division of football, and, and we're sitting here now. I mean, we, the money in football nowadays just means Leighton Orient will not ever make that type of thing. But what a wonderful memory! Do you, any any recollection of the 
the, the season when we were in the first division because it was a uh, yeah, very disappointing uh, again course. again I'd, I'd seen every home match and um, considerable away matches um, most of which I did restrict my time to London or South East matches and the only one that sticks in my mind where we actually won was away at Fulham I think it was 2-0 or 2-1 but that day stands out because as I was standing on the side of the terrace at Fulham I found a 10 shilling note straight go. in the pocket good night <laughs> a win and 10 bob in my pocket what can I ask for more wonderful yeah I mean we, we won't dwell on that 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 well that season because it's well documented in, in many books and uh, but we got relegated, didn't we? And then obviously things become a bit harder for the O's, but not for you. You're you're still travelling up and down the country, and uh, you were telling me that you you would you, you bumped into a fellow British rail worker at St Pancras. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Well, what this was that um, I think let's let's say 64, 65, 66 that that era. Um, I used to go either on a train or, 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 on, a, or on the supporters' coach. Um, most of the time, I used to go with my great friend, Keith Emerson, who has done a fantastic blog, if anyone can actually access that on the internet. Uh, and I've known Keith for 60 years, in excess of 60 years, and we used to go everywhere. Um, whilst we was at uh, St Pancras one day, uh, a British Rail employee was doing a survey. It was a, it was early one Saturday morning, and we were going somewhere in the northwest. I can't remember where it was, and uh, he questioned me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I mentioned to him in passing that uh, in the 1960s and 61-62 season, there was always an advert in the Orient programme for travel to away match the next week or a week after or whatever it was. And now, because we were, let's say, not fashionable, for want of a better word, <laughs> and we'd dropped down the league and we were not having a very good time, that you didn't want to know about us. And I said, but there's still people who go. Um, is there anything that you could do to make our life a little easier? So I explained this, that and the other. And it turned out that um, I made an arrangement with him that he would make available to the people I went with, plus other Orient faces, shall we say, tickets available from St Pancras Station, because in those days, most trains to the northwest went from St Pancras and or Euston, but mainly St Pancras. And the arrangement was that on the, the day of the match, uh, you could get to St Pancras at this special booking office, which if anyone has ever seen St Pancras Station, is the marvellous site, oak panelled station, entrance and booking office, beautiful. And there you, you went there on the day and you got the ticket, but the benefit of the ticket was, let's say, for example, it was that the match was against Berry, you had a ticket directly to Berry rather than the usual problem of booking to Manchester, changing stations in Manchester and then getting a ticket from another Manchester station to Bury, let's say. Mm. And they, he managed to do that. And um, that went on for a while. And his usual response to me when I, when I rang up is, we can do your 100, Governor. <laughs> and I always said, well, I haven't got 100 going with me. He said, no, but that's the, that's the amount we expect to sell. And... Um, I, on my subsequent talks with him, he said that virtually every time they used to sell that number, so they were very pleased with it, and that carried on for a while. Um, and then um, things did change a little bit after that, which is a story I'll relate in a moment to Trevor, uh, uh, about um, going by coach or not going by coach or not going by train, <laughs> and I'll repeat that with Trevor in a moment. <laughs> Well, you, meant, you still remember the number the fella gave In fact, I've got it here. It, 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 where's that paper gone? Yeah, it was, it's Houston. No, 7070. And for those of you who've got the, the, the new 
mobile phone number. Houston was E-U-S and then the number. And that was marvellous. And that was the chap I used to speak to. And that was many years ago. What was the the, the culture like on the trains going back in the day? The auric uh, face, faces you mentioned, were they? Yeah, uh, basically, let's say the, the earlier time, I used to go with a group of uh, chaps who were, let's say, late teenagers and i was a very young teenager i used to peg along with them uh, and listen to what they were saying rather than join in with them <laughs> and uh, they, they were always very good to me later on when i was let's say mid-teenage um, i went with a group of my own friends uh, again i mentioned keith emerson and uh, the late ray bruce who was one of the staunch historian supporters ever uh, who unfortunately died in 1980 um and uh, from there we uh, we uh, have to recall a, a situation where we were going a long time on the coach and in those days it was run by Orient Supporters Club and it was um, uh, a volunteer obviously as it always is with Orient Supporters Club uh, to get on the coach was the the, the, the steward was this person. Um, and then after a, a brief spell with him, which everything was fine, um, a gentleman called Brian Blower, which most people I think have, um, he decided that he wanted to incorporate coach travel in with Orient as a club as opposed to a supporters club. And the people that I went with did take exception to this. And we decided that we would form our own group going on our own coach exclusive of uh, supporters club and this was arranged by another orange supporter who i must mention terry baxter terry baxter was an orange supporter through and through and he organized i would say for at least one year baxter's coaches <laughs> and on that coach it was the, the same people every week you had your own seat and no one dare sit in your seat because that was your seat. And he, he organised this well until things were then resolved, shall we say, between the club and the supporters club. Um, but it was unnecessary. But the times with Terry Baxter, I would say, was the best on the coach because he arranged everything from beginning to end. Wow. He sounds, uh, sounds my type of bloke, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? Staunch Orient fans. Well... We've got a piece of paper here that says LOSC, obviously, Leighton Orient Supports Club. It's dated 12th of the 3rd, 1966. I wasn't even born, Dick. So, and it's got you going to Plymouth Argyle, and the game was on the 13th, no, the 12th, sorry, and uh, you left Friday night. Yes. To go to Plymouth. This, this is true, yes. Right, well, of course, what you've got to remember is that uh, we're talking of no motorways uh, to the west of London in those days. So you obviously had to leave early in order to get to Plymouth, which was a journey and a half. Now, the reason I remember this particular journey was on the afternoon, the Friday afternoon, I had a tooth extraction. <laughs> and so <laughs> I decided that, yes, I would go to Plymouth. Um, although I'd booked up in advance, I had to go. Um, I boarded this uh, coach as ever at Hackney Town Hall. The stops were Hackney Town Hall and that was 11.15 on the Friday evening. Uh, it also stopped at Marsh Hill and also at the ground. And we arrived early morning and it was very early in the morning um, at the, I think it's Plymouth Hoe. I can remember the Hoe is a big green greensward there and we arrived there early morning uh in a most disheveled state and i was still aching from the tooth extraction but that's what i can remember from it and i've just found that for trevor the program and the supporters club note and in fact the fare was what was it trevor it's got here 35 shillings right it says to pay are you sure you paid that? i did pay i did pay <laughs> Uh, I paid on the coach. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that is. Can you remember what time you roughly got back after the game? Was it Sunday morning? The games are blur. The games are blur. <laughs> the games are blur. <laughs>
Wow, that's that's, that's some remarkable stories of, of what you do to watch the O's. I mean, we think we're ahead of the game nowadays when we travel, but we have to worry about train strikes now. Anyway, so when you start your working life, you uh, you're often walking around London. You were telling me and. Uh, you, you you often see the odd orient face about one day you met a fella oh yeah 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 uh, right this 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 goes back to the er- very early days of traveling um the, i was working in the city and used to do messenger work this that and the other and uh one day it was on the th- i remember it was the thursday and i'll tell you what it was the thursday later um i met this chap and I could explain him as an Orient face. Let's put it that way. I didn't know his name. I'd spoken to him many times and I hadn't had a clue, but he was an Orient fan and he travelled with me in the very early 60s as well. And he was slightly older than I was, but he was a regular. And we decided we'll have a little talk about the old days and we went in to just off of Bishopsgate, a road called Devonshire Row, and it was Oddie's calf. We went in there for a cup of coffee and a Kit Kat. And we were talking over old times of Orient, blah, blah, blah. And during the conversation, this chap mentioned to me that his only regret was that he'd never seen Orient play at Clapton, as Clapton Orient, which obviously he wasn't born at the time, and neither was I. Now, as soon as he said this, my memory went back to my uncle's recollection of his match that he went to see along with my father in the 1925 era Um, and uh, i also uh, mentioned this to my other friend steve jenkins uh, when he was doing his book uh, they took the lead. Is it they called? They took, they took the lead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think Trevor was like looking at it today and would like to read a little passage through, and I'll explain further from there. Yeah. Well, this passage starts with the FA Cup fifth round match versus Newcastle United on the 20th of February 1926. Saw the Richards brothers. They sound dodgy, don't they? Set off from their home at 57 Forest Road, Dalston, E8. By the time they reached Graham Road, the number of O supporters had risen to at least 150. After passing through the churchyard of Hackney Parish Church into the borough of Clapton, the crowd must have been up to 400 or so. And they were all walking dick, is this correct? Yeah, in those those days, um, it was either a small bus or even a tram, or the majority of people decided to walk because although it was a fair distance, you always met someone on the way, my uncle was telling me to talk to. And in this, and, and this day was a very special day because uh, a player called Huey Gallagher played for Newcastle United. And it was, as Trevor said, it was a cup match and everyone was up for it, um, including many O's fans. And uh, this, this was unbelievable. What I'd like to add to what Trevor has said, he, my uncle explained to me, when they reached, I think the road, Trevor will correct me, it's either Powerscroft or Medium Road, which is in Clapton. Yeah, one Powers of those Road, one yeah. of those leads right down to the actual mill fields, which is a vast area of green, or it was in those days. He explained to me that as soon as they reached that area, the whole of the area, which was normally grass, was covered with fans. Absolutely covered with fans now from there on obviously everyone went their way but they went into the ground and stood in their usual place on the spine cop and one of the greatest days in O's history they beat newcastle two nil i think it was yeah definitely two nil and uh, obviously the, the the journey home was like flying on a magic carpet for them <laughs> and that stayed in my mind now why i'm referring to that one is that when I met this chap in the cafe and we were talking about it, my mind, all those years earlier, had gone back to when my uncle explained this journey to me. And on that day, because it was a Thursday, I remember there was Clapton dogs on that evening. And as I liked greyhound racing as well, I decided what I was going to do that day, I was going to retrace my 
uncle and uh, father's footsteps walking from Forest Road all the way to Millfield, Clapton, and go from there. Now, I spoke to Trevor earlier on this, and I got a little bit emotional, and I'll explain the reason why. I'd done the walk. It was an evening time, and it was a little bit misty, and I'd done the walk exactly the same. And as I reached the perimeter, I think of this Powerscroft Road. I'm yeah. not sure of the exact road, but whatever the road that led down there, I stood there for a moment, and I can feel myself going now. I felt as though I could feel 1925 all over again from what he'd said and what was in my memory that this place was absolutely covered with people. Although it was pitch dark, I was there. I was there in 1925, and it all came back to me on that particular day. And as I went through the turnstile and got on the spine cop, I just froze because I was there. There, right in the place where they were. Unbelievable. And uh, to this day, that memory will live with me forever. You were saying that your uncle recalled that story quite late in his life yeah yeah well, this so. this is why i'm confirming it now because i thought at the time yeah yeah maybe maybe but towards the end of his life which was late uh, 80s he explained to me exactly again and exactly the same story and the same feelings come to mind then because mm, we have to remember that clapton greyhounds continued long after clapton orient played at Oh yeah, yeah. So, so that's why you were able to yeah. go there yeah. and visualise yeah. your uncle and your dad done. But but I would say anyone who may be listening to this who'd actually experienced, not necessarily Orient playing there because there can't be many people alive now who did, but who actually visited Clapton and stood on the area that was classed as the spine cop, must have had virtually the same feeling as I had when I was walking through there. It was unbelievable. And I still had that feeling when I'd done the walk with Steve Jenkins again on one of his Orient walks. Yeah, the Orient line. I mean, it's what I took out the Orient line with Steve is that he points out all the different pubs and I visualised all the men would um, be coming out the pubs, going to the games, which what you described as what you feel going then is just exactly how I think core what an experience that would have been to watch football mm. in a completely different era to what we're used to today but I have to say Dick that that was fabulous what you just said there now when we were chatting about doing this we have to come to 1969-70 and all you've put on the top of your bit of paper is best of all times for me well, so this, this take it, it away this was it well um 1969-70, I was a late teenager, shall we say. In fact, I was in my 20s. <laughs> in my 20s, early 20s. And this was it. This was it. Um, I'd done all the matches, home and away, uh, by train, coach or whatever, or even car on a couple of occasions, with the same group of fans that I always went with, I'm sure most of you who were of that time know who the people were. They still, a lot of them still go, but unfortunately some have passed on now. Uh, but uh, I have to say at this stage, I went with my friend of over 60 years, Keith Emerson, to all these matches. And again, I repeat, if anyone can read his blog, which is on the internet, it is a fabulous account of Warwick history from 1881 onwards it is fabulous um main thing was there was always a tremendous o's away following i can remember that and i have to say uh, for those who can remember it the old west side was at its most vocal and i really mean that not not like it is now but like it was in the heyday uh, also, um, the manager, Bloomfield, was very, very comfortable to talk to. He was always speaking to uh, people at away matches, especially the group of fans that I went with. But it was a superb year. Um, 
I think a lot of people know the story anyway, but we got promoted and it was fabulous. That's all I can say. We were champions, weren't we? Yes. We were champions. And And I I shown Trevor on the way downstairs the rosette that I got. Division three champions. Orient. Fabulous. And we will put some pictures up to go along with it. But so we're going to sort of wrap up this first half of your uh, your 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 orient life dick but with jimmy bloomfield you got you got an interesting story about oh yeah when, yeah, when, yeah. Uh, well when he left us well i'd like to recall it in memory of jimmy but also uh just to give people a little flavor of the uh, of the time um obviously 1960 70 bloomfield was the manager he was loved he was loved by all of all of the uh warrant following absolutely loved uh but unfortunately um he was for want of a better word lured away by leicester who were in a high division at the time and myself and other followers of ours begged him not to go because we said this is the place for you you're you're the, you're the man here you are the man here don't go there unfortunately he went right fair enough these things happen in football but believe it or not i'm not sure if it was a year or two later we were drawn away to leicester city where mr jimmy bloomfield was the manager now most people say oh that's that's okay so the way now this what i'm about to recall is one of the occasions when the feeling amongst orient supporters was at a very intense level because they were very upset that Bloomfield had gone, even though it was a year or two earlier. And there was a lot of resentment against him, which which was unfortunate at the time. But um, that day, fortunately, the British Rail had laid on for Orient two special trains. Now, these these weren't parts of a train. These were special trains from St Pancras to Leicester. There were two trains. The thing that I always remember alighting at Leicester Station was the absolute number of police that were there to meet the Orient trains. Never before or since have I seen as many police, animals, dogs, horses at a railway station for an Orient match. I think a lot of the word had been spread that there was going to be big trouble that day because of the nature of Bloomfield's transfer. So in those days, you could you could really go anywhere in grounds. There was no segregation. The people I went with who, who were very upset went to the enclosure. Now, the enclosure was directly behind where Mr. Bloomfield was sitting. And how do I describe this day? Jimmy Bloomfield received a lot of banter. Shall we put it politely? I think you know what I mean, Trevor. Uh, and that carried on, and fortunately, score, Leicester nil, Orient 2, absolutely fabulous. This continued after the game. Forget about that, that's it. Um, we we told them for what we thought, and the result went our way. We couldn't lose, could we? We couldn't lose that game. Station and the volume of police there, absolutely unbelievable. I, I was staggered with the number of police that were there, um, every time I've been to an Aura match, you might see the occasional bloke around with a dog or something like that. But this was uh, this was overkill, mm. really was. And then just to cut the long story very short, later on, Jimmy came back to Orient, and uh, myself and others had spoken to him. This you know because things were okay then. He was back, lovely, and unfortunately, he did say that it was a mistake. But he had to do it, and then we didn't realise. But subsequent to that, unfortunately, he was taken from us. Yeah, he's uh, he was a good bloke, Jimmy Bloomfield. Done well second time round as well. Well, late seventies, Abigail comes about. Lovely. What, what you're doing about your football then? Uh, right, okay. Uh, very late seventies and early eighties. Um, I had uh, a business interest which curtailed me really from going to many away matches but I still attended home matches but in the late 1980s um, my travelling 
to and from away matches uh, was altered slightly. Instead of going with various friends of mine, I travelled to away matches with uh, not only my daughter, who was roughly about eight or nine at the time, uh, and along my wife, but I'd also like to mention these people. Dave and Brenda and Suzanne Randerson, Paul and Alan Parry, Mick Cleary with his son Ben and his two friends Chris and Steve. Now why I mention these is because this was the, uh, I'm talking roughly of the mid to late 80s, this was the era of where a lot of parents and kids travelled together because this was the era of Boots, Purcell, Tesco as well as Rail Rider vouchers which not only gave adults reduced fares, but also kids accompanied with, uh, accompanied with adults went for a pound only. And this was really exceptional, especially the group that I went with. Uh, the kids usually played a game called, a card game, which was called Uno. And the winner of this series of games was presented with a special cup, courtesy of Mick Cleary, who took used sweet wrappers and transformed them into a wonderful trophy for the winning kid. Truly wonderful days. <laughs> Please note that although my wife travelled with us, she did not go to the matches but visited towns and shops or places of local interest instead of going to the games. Well, you'd said to me earlier while we were having lunch with you, she's only mentioned, she's only been to one late and orange match in her life, so um, <laughs> I'm glad she enjoyed all them cathedrals. So, um, yeah. And as for the the cup, I, I can see that was keenly keenly fought over by young children on the train. Anyway, so we come now to what would be, I think, the fourth motion you would have seen, 88-89. So this was the era of two-legged playoff finals and things like that. So um, memories of that, Scarborough? Well, Scarborough, the, the, the memory that I do have of that is it's such a long, long, long journey both ways. And it seemed, the game seemed to go on forever. The away leg seemed to go on forever. But eventually it did finish and we were through to the final where we played uh, Wrexham, home and away. And I remember this one that uh, I went to the first leg away at Wrexham uh, with my daughter and also uh, uh, fre close friends of mine, the Rigby family who are staunch Orient supporters. And we went on the supporters club coach to Wrexham and that was a, a nil-nil but a wonderful day out. But it was a long, long ride home, especially as my daughter was with me. And that seemed to, she seemed to be tired from the moment we got on the coach. Yeah, it was, uh, I always remember going there and we went to the last pub in England before that match, which was quite ironic. About the final, it was, I think it was, a, it was played in June because of, uh, I think, the Hillsborough incidents and uh, I think it was about 12 o'clock kick or something. That's yeah. right. I remember it being a very, very hot day as well. Uh, but the main thing I remember about it was part, uh, was it Mark Cooper scored? Yeah, he got yeah, the Coop, the Super Cooper, Cooper. The Cooper winner was the, again, the celebrations on the field at the final whistle and also in the uh, old supporters club, which was on the corner of Brisbane Road uh, mm. alongside the, the park. Yeah, the old supporters club now... Uh, People listening to this may not remember the supporters club in there, as, as old as ones do, but it closed down at about, I mean, think about 2004, didn't it? And, yeah, it uh, was in May of May. 2004. Last game of the season against Cambridge United, and uh, you've got some stories about that which are quite interesting, involving an auction. Yes, um, right. Uh, th this was uh, the final match that was played prior to uh, various redevelopments of uh, Orient ground uh, and at the end of uh, a very long session in the supporters club uh, there was an auction of everything that was on show in the uh, in the supporters club and I've just found uh, this note that I'd like to read out which was in an Orient supporters club letter that I received after the event right here we go end of era auction a lot of laughs were had on the 8th of may which was 2004 the last ever match day at the old club when members started making offers 
for all sorts of items around the club to take as souvenirs. A plastic clock worth all of 50p was bought for £20, curtains for a fiver, glitter ball for 70 creaky chairs for 250 leave quietly signs for £20, loo rolls for a pound, and so on and so on. Now, I must admit that I bought half of the entire carpet that was in the supporters club, but I asked Lou Day, especially for the non-soggy end, I bought the leave quietly sign and I bought the half glitter ball uh, along with my daughter Abigail who was with me at the time. <laughs> right, I have to also continue with this from Dave Dodd. Uh, he said, I really think that the heavy consumption of ale on the last day and the slaughter of 25 years of the old club had a major influence in, the, in causing normally sane and level-headed members to buy up these rather odd items. One wonders how the purchases were explained to their other halves the following day. And going on from that, I had a, a lovely letter back from Dave thanking me for best wishes, etc., etc., which I've just uh, shown to Trevor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that explains quite a lot. <laughs> well, it does explain a lot of your love for Leighton Orient, Dick, as well, doesn't it? I mean, also, you've got the the love of putting pen to paper by writing to Dave does, but we go on to 2005-06 now, and uh, you, you you were putting pen to paper again, weren't you? So you are writing a Matt Port this time. Right. What was that all about? Yeah, right. Now, um, let's say everyone knows the match, about the match at Oxford. Now, prior to that, I would say roughly about two or three weeks prior, I wrote uh, to Matt Porter, uh, saying to him that at that time we had been given a two-thirds allocation in the stand which was opposite where the players entered the pitch. I I told him that we should go for the full length 4,600 accommodation because of I what I envisaged to be the psychological advantage of an all-red scene as players came out. Eventually, we were successful in getting all of this, much to the chagrin of various people within Oxford, not only supporters, but readers of the Oxford Mail. Right. Uh, now, later, I had spoken to... Uh, uh, the, the gentleman called John Mackey, I think, who was the captain. Yeah, at the captain, time. It, though, yeah. And he said to me that the psychological advantage of the team leading the pitch to see an, an, a blanket of all red completely opposite them uh, gave them such a psychological advantage that they knew that this was the day. And I'm quite pleased that I wrote to Matt Porter asking him to do that. And he must have done it because we had the whole the whole of the stand. And the day lives long in the memory of many an O's fan and the exciting end to that match. And uh, what about your memories leaving the ground? Ah, right. right now, this this is the irony. This was the irony of the best, right? OK, um, I left the ground with, uh, with Abigail, my daughter and my friend Chris. Uh, and we had to get to his car, which unfortunately was parked on the Blackbird Lees estate. Say no more. <laughs> Through police dogs, police helicopters above, horses, not to mention hordes of baying Oxford fans. Right? But we got to the car eventually safely. But the irony is, most of the Orient faces, shall I say, were transported on their own bus back to the station in order to get them away from Oxford. And they found, and, and later on, when I met up with these people, they were all laughing and found it to be so ironic that it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was a, it was a truly magnificent day and uh, they are great memories. And I think we all ended up in the coaching horses. Coaching horses. And if you look over there, there is the pictures yeah, still of, the, of the day at Oxford and in the uh, coach horses afterwards. That was wonderful. Yeah, it's, it long lives with everybody that one, Dick. But I, I do like it that you write to Matt Porter. That's fantastic. And uh, we now head on for a long way. We get relegated and we're back into an era that we, we don't really speak about. But I know Dick has his own uh, uh, thoughts on that. But we are going to go there to... The 18-19 season, which is now your sixth promotion. Oh, 
Do we class that as a sixth one because it's well, not in the proper football league? But no, it, to me, if a team has gone up, it's a promotion. That's okay. as simple as that. Well, it was a championship as well. So, 18-19. I'll start you off, Dick, with the the morning of Halifax at home and queuing for tickets. Right, well, this, this does live in my memory because the gentleman I'm sitting opposite... <laughs> done a video of the people in the queue and it always makes me laugh when i review this uh, this video but basically uh the, the the queue i was in the queue from approximately eight o'clock in the morning in order to get away tickets for the Sutton and solihull matches uh and after a, a quite a long way i think i got served about 11 15 but that was fine but as i do remember trevor walking past me <laughs> at that time and we were, we were we were continually laughing about that also i'd like to mention uh the atmosphere of solihull which i thought was unbelievable and especially the joining of kent t with all the supporters in, during the second half uh, the only other thing that I would like to mention is, unfortunately, very sad, was the passing of Justin Edinburgh in, I think it was the June of, uh, of that year, 19. Um, uh, I have on my records a video of the wonderful display of flowers that was left in Oliver Road following his tragic death. And that I've got on my screen and it goes on for about five minutes and it really brings tears to the eyes when you see it. Yeah, it's, it, it was a tragic ending to that, but we also liked Karoma and Bond that year, didn't we? You that, know? Well, that year I, I picked out these two players, Karoma and Bond, because their scoring was exceptional. Uh, and I think, if you've got to be fair, it was the, it was the highlight of both of their careers. Uh, even though they played in, and they still play in higher leagues, I think you'll ask them both that this was when they hit their peak form. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it, it was probably in the end a truly remarkable season, and uh, which most people can remember quite well. But we um, we now move on to your final promotion. Well, let's hope it's not your final promotion, Dick, because uh, you've still got a few years left yet, haven't we? So. Um, <laughs> This goes to 22-23 and probably the most emphatic championship because we won it by quite a lot, didn't we? Well, yeah, I think that I have to mention three of the, uh, of the, 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 the let's say, the team. Um, I have to mention Richie Wellens because I think his uh, management and dealing with not only players but supporters was absolutely immaculate during that year. Also, two players who unfortunately have now left us, uh, Paul Smythe and uh, Lance Vigoro, were also players who were exceptional and they gave their best for and, and best wishes to them in their new careers. Right. Now, the other thing that uh, I, I'd like to mention was that because of family commitments, I was not able to get to many away matches, but I was a glory hunter. And I managed, I managed to get to Sutton and Gillingham. I'd like to mention Sutton first of all, because um, I, I was invited by, let's say, various Orient faces, including my daughter, <laughs> to join them at uh, a hostelry in Cheam near Sutton. And I had a wonderful day with them, various people that I've known for many years. And also I had the most delicious fish and chip lunch in the high road in Cheam. It was absolutely wonderful. Also, the other the other point which most people have seen, maybe seen the video, was the celebrations on the train from Gillingham to Stratford International with my daughter, granddaughter, and obviously various of my Orient friends and faces who have been long-standing at the O's. And it was absolutely wonderful. And also, I think it was the match against Crew where we actually confirmed promotion uh the supporters club was absolutely bouncing and that's all i can say for that that was absolutely wonderful and that is that is probably maybe the last one i shall see but i will think i will remember them all with the same degree of excitement and uh, wonderful anticipation of things to come but i am a realist and i realize that this may not be anymore 
Well, let's, let's, let's not worry too much about that. I mean, with the, the Gillian away game, um, with all the drama of the, the floodlights and goals going in up and down the country, which sealed our promotion. I mean, I've got a memory of you there, Dick, and it's you, you're walking on the pitch with your arms aloft. And in your own words, it was job done. Job done. It was job done. And thank you so much for doing this because it's been absolutely wonderful to talk to somebody who has seen seven promotions for Leighton Orient and spanning so many years with so many great memories. And also the fact that my era think we know it all, we've done it all, your era done it before us. And it is absolutely pleasure to sit in this room and I will put some pictures for people to see of a wonderful history of a, of a great gentleman who's supported Leighton Orient for so many years. Thank you, Dick. It's been an absolute pleasure. That's wonderful. Thank you very much for coming to my house. Um, as I say, I, I would like to express my sincere wishes to every member of the Leighton Orient Supporters Club, who I know are volunteers, not only now, but through my entire experience of Orient, because to me, they are the heart and soul of Orient, and they will always be the same, and long may it remain.